Well, good evening, church, and welcome to Sunday night. It's uh, 6.30, and it's what we have done for, well, the 38 years that I've been here, and we're just continuing with Sunday night as best we can. Thanks for joining us. We're in a series called Soul Food, the things you need to know about your Bible, how we got it, how to read it. We're still in the process of how we got our Bibles. And the question I want to look at tonight, I think is a really important one, It's the title I've chosen for this teaching. Are the words of Scripture inspired or just the thoughts, the ideas? The text I want to look at, at least the one I want to open with, is John chapter 17, verse 8. Get a Bible, follow along. I think these are really important words. For I, the speaker is Jesus, for I have given them the words, Jesus as he prays to the Father. I have given them, the disciples, the words that you gave me. And they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you and they have believed that you sent me. So we've been going for about four or five weeks now on this process. How? How, how do we get these books? We treasure them. We say our Bibles are very special. We say they're God's word. We say they're inspired. But the process, how does this work? First thing we did is we looked at, you know, there's 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 letters, books in the New Testament. And the first thing we established was that the 39 books we have in our Old Testament correspond exactly to the 24 books of the Jewish scriptures that Jesus endorsed. The reason for the difference in number is because uh, the Jewish scriptures take several letters that we have as separate books and they combine them under one title, but it's exactly the same books, exactly the same number, exactly the same letters. And then we saw from Jesus' comments in Luke 11, 49 to 51, that teaching's online, you can look it up if you want to, where Jesus limited the Old Testament scriptures to exactly the same books that you have in your Old Testament. Jesus endorsed those, didn't include the apocryphal books or any others, just those. So Jesus endorses the Old Testament that you carry to church, well, that you used to carry to church, that we study together. But then something very dramatic happened. Jesus came on the scene and he said, these inspired texts that he endorsed, the Old Testament, he said they were all about him. So if you're going to take those scriptures seriously and honor them as God's word, then you have to take Jesus seriously because he said they were talking about him. He did something else. He said Abraham longed to see his day. Jesus would frequently quote the Old Testament. He would place his own authority right alongside those Old Testament texts that Jesus endorsed as scripture. Sometimes even place his authority above, say those things were finished, they were complete, they had been fulfilled in him and were no longer required. So he has this authority. And those first followers of Jesus, his disciples, those Jewish followers of Jesus, they found what he said And what he did, compelling. And then Jesus went further and he said that he would send his spirit. He would send his spirit to those uh, apostles. He would 
remind them of all the things they needed to know. He would oversee, he would inspire, so there would be a record of the work and teachings of Jesus that the Old Testament endorsed. And then finally, we saw this whole process brought to completion. In really significant words, Jude, verse 3, says this. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, that's what he wanted to write about, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend. That's an interesting verb. To contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So, so, so the command is, Scripture tells us, I want you to be contentious about this. Seems like a strange command. In other words, if you're going to be contentious about anything, I want you to stand up for this because there's going to be all sorts of pushback. People will want to update, relativize, change, transform, add to, delete. Things will be culturally acceptable, not culturally acceptable. So Jesus, so Jude, in in that writing, he says, "I, I want you to contend for a faith once finished and for all, for everybody, delivered. So the idea there is we have a complete revelation, once for all delivered. The Old Testament looked forward to Christ. Christ, by his Spirit, enabled his apostles to record the fulfillment of redemption The church has this permanent record. We're told it's once for all. It's finished. Contend for that. Do whatever you have to do to make sure you're in the face of people who want to deny this truth. Don't let this go. That's where we've been tracing our steps Today, what I want to study is the nature. What kind of inspiration has been given to the writers of the Scriptures? So what are we to expect when the Holy Spirit inspires a sacred text? How safe are we in relying on our Bibles for a revelation from God? In what sense is it God's Word? And you can read all sorts of guys from from Brian Zahn to to Greg Boyd, to Brian McLaren, and others who will, who will make light of this concept of an inerrant scripture. And they, what they mean, they'll still call it God's inspired word, but what they mean by that is something very different. So everyone who's a member of City View Community Church has signed his or her name on a statement of faith that says we are committed to the truth that the Bible is quotes the inspired and infallible word of God. And and it all raises a question, doesn't it? What is the nature of the inspiration of Scripture? Is it just inspired in its effect? It's inspiring when we read it. Or is it inspired in the nature of the text itself? Is the Bible inspired, inerrant, infallible, even if nobody reads it? or is only inspired when it comes to life in our hearts. If the text is inspired, 
are the actual words inspired or just the general concepts or ideas. And what I want to do, I want to show you how I process my belief in the inspiration of the words of Scripture. That's what I want to show you tonight. So buckle up. Let's study together. Point number one. The unequivocal conviction of Jesus was he gave his disciples God's words. I get that. It's a really important text. John 17, 8. Jesus is the speaker, and he says, I have given them the words, plural, I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I'm hoping to show on this truth stands the whole fabric of revelation and doctrine. All of our teaching in all of our churches, I would say, all of our doctrines and practices stand on the fact that Jesus has given his apostles the words of truth. He didn't just give a word or some thoughts or a philosophy. He said, I have given them the words, nouns, Verbs, adjectives, adjectives, pronouns, sentences, words, plural. And these words came from Father God himself. So, so the foundation of the Christian faith doesn't rest on our best guesswork about the mind of God. Jesus didn't just come as some kind of a revealer declaring what he thought we should know about the Creator and what he thought we should know about eternity. He tells his apostles plainly that the words he gave to them, and this surely includes all the words of teaching and instruction of his earthly ministry, those words were, in a sense, not just his words at all. He gave them the words chosen by Father God himself. And so, so I, I start with that ground of certainty. We don't lay the foundation of our faith on, on our best thoughts and speculation. We don't start with the subjective. We begin with words. You can read them in all sorts of languages. We know that inspiration at least extends to uh, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. So we know inspiration works through human languages, the words that Jesus gave weren't just his words. So we begin with words. Words chosen and given by Father God himself. So the message, in my view, the message is secure and divine, and the medium is secure and divine. But there's a problem. If this foundation seems so secure, and I believe it is, it also seems temporary because Jesus didn't stay here on earth in his physical body. And if Jesus gave us the very words of Father God, what became of this message after the ascension? His departure from the earthly presence of mankind. There were no New Testament documents written when Jesus was ascended. Jesus didn't write a book. Where does that leave us? He had the words from Father God, and he left. Leads to point number two. 
I wish I could have made this shorter, but Cedar viewers, at least, you're used to this. Point number two. While Jesus was giving the apostles the very words of the Father, that's what we read about, he made it plain that his revealing ministry, Jesus' revealing ministry, would continue after he was ascended through the work of the Holy Spirit in his chosen apostles. So, so in other words, that's a long way of saying it. The very words of Father God make it clear that Jesus, what Jesus was revealing while he was here on earth was only the beginning of the unfolding of Christian doctrine and truth. It wasn't the end of it. And, and it's right at this very point where we can observe something that I think is really incredible. In spite of the fact that Jesus had given those apostles the very words of God, that's what Jesus said, words revealing the truth that the Father had for them, there was constantly this problem. They didn't grasp the meaning of those divine words very well. That fact is just so well documented to anyone with an honest eye to the Scriptures. You could give many examples. Let me just give you some. I'm just going to fire them out real quick. We do not know where you're going. How can we know? John 14, 5. Show us the Father and it is enough for us. 14, 8. How is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? 14, 22 of John. What is this that he says to us? A little while and you will see me and again a little while you will see me because I'm, I'm going to the Father. John 16, 17. John 16, 18, we do not know what he is talking about. That's a direct quote. This looks bleak. I mean, what a muddled list of questions and confusion. So to be clear, the revelation they're receiving, Jesus said, I'm giving them God's words, the very words of God. I'm giving it to them. It's absolutely a perfect revelation. So over and over again, Jesus is giving them the very words of the Father, and they don't get what those words mean. Is this a mistake? So, so is something wrong with their heads? Has the revelation, have the words from the Father given by Jesus, have those words failed? No, they haven't. Jesus makes the meaning of all this very clear with his own explanation. Jesus addresses their confusion. The process of revelation isn't a failure. It's not inaccurate. It's not untrue. But it's just the beginning of the process of revelation. Many events were still to happen. Another phase is going to be essential before they're really going to understand what those words that Jesus gave them meant. Here's where I get that. John 16, last part of verse 4 and 5, and then I'm going to jump down to verse 12, 13, 14. So have a Bible. Jesus is speaking to the disciples. So John 16, uh, the last half of verse 4. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me. Now look at verse 12. I still have many things to say to you. I'm not done. I still have many things to say to you, but 
You cannot bear them now. That's an interesting phrase. 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever whatever he hears. So the spirit will hear first. Whatever he hears, he will speak. He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. So what's the spirit going to say? Okay, now remember, when Jesus was here, he said he delivered to them the words from the Father. Jesus took the Father's words, plural, the very words from the Father. Jesus took those and gave them to the disciples, and and they, they couldn't figure them all out. Now the Spirit's going to come when Jesus goes. He will take what is mine and declare it to you. Do you see how this works? Jesus has words from the Father. He gives them to the disciples. Then Jesus will leave. Jesus will speak to the Spirit. The Spirit will speak those same words to the disciples. It's the exact same process continuing. So all of these words from Jesus, words given him from the Father, they point to this time of transition in Revelation. There were things that couldn't possibly be understood by the disciples because none of them had happened yet. That's why Jesus said the Spirit would reveal things that were to come. Jesus hadn't died on the cross. No resurrection, no ascension, no outpouring of the Spirit, no idea of Jesus going away, where he was going, certainly very little clue about his second coming and a new creation and on and on and on. They couldn't get any of this. So so all of these events would take another kind of revelation. The very nature of Jesus' work required his departure. He could not ascend to intercede at the Father's right hand if he had just remained in bodily form here on earth. No wonder he said to them, John 16, 7, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. This this ongoing revelation, it, it won't happen. The kind you need. But if I go, I will send him. Jesus will send him to them. This is something wonderful to think about. Jesus, he forges the whole chain of revelation around himself. First he comes, remember where we've been. First Jesus comes on the scene, looks back to the whole Old Testament, and he says, that was all about me. Everything, the prophets, the writers, the law, says it was all about me. The whole thing was about me. He was the object of its law, its sacrifices, its prophecies, its promises. So he starts looking back. Then he looks into the future and he says, I will still be at the center of it. There'll be more revelation. It will still come from him. It will still be about him. Point number three. Another long point. The whole New Testament bears uniform witness to the progress of revelation from the revealing work of Jesus in his words before his ascension. I gave them the words you you gave to me, he said. To the continuing revealing work of Jesus after his ascension through the work of the Holy Spirit in the words of the apostles. So, So in other words, 
the authority of revelation continues after Jesus' ascension, but the method of revelation is changed. So this is how revelation unfolds until the completion of the New Testament canon. And when you realize this truth, you'll see it over and over again in the New Testament itself. Here's an example where this, this, this transition in the way revelation would come, it's actually talked about in the New Testament. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Luke is the writer. In the first book, that's the gospel of Luke. In the first book, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. So Luke says in his gospel, in many ways, the most vigorously researched and detailed of all the synoptics, what he said in his gospel, he says, it's just a record of what Jesus began to teach. So in other words, the teaching ministry of Jesus wasn't finished at the time of his death, resurrection, and ascension. Jesus wasn't finished his teaching. So now in the book of Acts, written after Jesus ascended, we would see Jesus continuing to teach. The authority was the same, but the method was different. Jesus would be at work in the words and deeds of his chosen apostles, just as he had predicted and promised. I get that. Let me just read it again. It's in John 16, verses 12 to 14. John 16, 12. I really hope you look this reference up and, and follow along with it. I still have many things to say to you. That's Jesus. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears he will hear first. Whatever he hears, he will speak. He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. How is he going to glorify Jesus? It's not just a matter of, of sometimes we do this. We think that that means that the Spirit is just, is just encouraging us to say, oh, Jesus, I love you. You're wonderful. You're glorious. Worship. And, and I'm not saying that's untrue. I don't think that's the thrust of the text. How is the Spirit going to bring glory to Jesus? What he's going to do is he's going to listen and he's going to take every word he hears from Jesus and he's going to reveal it to the apostles just like Jesus had taken the words from the Father and delivered those words to the apostles. He will take what is mine, Jesus says, and declare it to you. I can't tell you I can't tell you how important the first word of that text is. Don't miss it or you'll miss everything important. I still have many things to say to you. I. The speaker would still be Jesus. Even after he was ascended. It would still be his words. But it would come through the Spirit to the apostles. Same authority Different method. So you can see the continuity implied in Luke's carefully chosen words. His gospel contained what Jesus began to teach. 
The book of Acts records what Jesus, what Jesus continued to teach after his ascension by his spirit. Or look at Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord. And it was attested to us by those who heard. Same idea. Notice the foundation. The message came at first by the Lord. Jesus, when he was here on earth, said, I I gave them the words that you gave to me. The words, specific words. The writer of Hebrews says, it was declared at first by the Lord. But he transferred that by the Spirit to the apostles. And so again, you have this chain of the New Testament. It's established. The chain of revelation firmly established. It needed to be established in such a way that there'd be a revelation from Jesus by his Spirit through the apostles to his finished work, which didn't happen all of it while Jesus was here on earth. Christ, through his apostles, reveals his glory and his power an ongoing ministry after his ascension, this was not possible while he was here on earth. The finished work wasn't finished. Here might be one of the clearest testimonies to Christ's ongoing revealing work by his Spirit to the, to the apostles. It's in Galatians 1, 1 to 5. Paul writes and he says, Paul an apostle, not from men or through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. So Paul says, I'm an apostle, but it's not through man, Jesus. The revealing work by the Spirit, Jesus is continuing. Two, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of God the Father, to him be glory forever and ever. So that revelation from Christ, risen, triumphant, ruling at the right hand of the Father, Lord of the church, that would never have been possible before Christ's ascension. Never. Our foundation of revealed truth is not less certain than when Jesus walked this earth, It's more certain and it's more complete than when Jesus was walking this earth physically. The Apostle Peter tells us why, and then we're done. Here's why we're better off today with the revelation, the complete revelation that we have, that we're to contend for, Jude 3. 2 Peter 1, 17 to 21. For when he received glory and honor from God the Father... And the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, quotes, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard his voice born of heaven. We were with him on the holy mountain. Peter's talking about the Mount of Transfiguration. They see Jesus. His conversations with Moses and Elijah about his decease at Jerusalem. And they're up there on the mountain. Jesus is transfigured. A voice, God speaks in words. He always speaks in words. God speaks. Peter says, we were right there. We were eyewitnesses of this majesty. 
But then he says something really strange. He says, 19, and we have something more sure. What? More sure than that? Than being eyewitnesses, seeing this right in front of your face? We have something better? We have something more sure. The prophetic word to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Now he's going to talk about this revelation that we've been talking about in this whole study. Knowing this, first of all, I get Peter saying, Jude says we're to contend for this idea of a complete, accurate revelation. Once for all delivered, not messed with in any way. Peter, Jude writes and says, be contentious about that. Insist on it. Don't budge an inch. Peter, the same idea, says, knowing this first of all, this is what you have to have right at the very beginning, or you have nothing to work with in your Christian life. Knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. There's a... a Greg Boyd does it a lot. Brian Zahn does it a lot. Others do it a lot. I'm trying to avoid naming them all. The idea that God didn't actually command all these things that you see in the Old Testament, the sacrifices, the wars, the violence. It was just the Jewish people, they were kind of surrounded by nations that did these kind of things. And so, and so the Jewish people just assumed that God must be like that. So God didn't really command that they were to go and do these things. They just assumed that. They thought that because, well, that's the example they had of all the tribal deities and all the warring nations around them. So they just kind of got mixed up. And God tolerated and worked with it because he was going to send his son later on and show them that he was really more loving than they thought. So so that idea of revelation is exactly what Peter is denying that these Old Testament prophets were, they were just kind of speaking their own thoughts and they got them a little mixed up. That is increasingly common in a lot of modern writers and the way they view Scripture. Here's what Peter says. Just listen to the words. No prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. Do you hear it? None of these people were spinning ideas out of their own minds, mistaken or otherwise. None of them. Peter says. It wasn't their own interpretation. It wasn't their thoughts. God gave them the words. God spoke the words. Do this. Don't do that. It wasn't their, their conception about what he might be like. It was specific directions in words from God. That's not my opinion. 2 Peter 1.20 20. You can sense I'm passionate about this. It just bugs me because I think this is such an important thing. Knowing this, first of all, get this right first or you won't be right on anything else. It's like buttoning your coat. You get the first button in the wrong hole, they're going to be wrong all the way down. So get this right first. That no prophecy of Scripture, Scripture, comes from someone's own interpretation. It wasn't just their thoughts. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. This just denies what these guys are saying absolutely. Men spoke from God. They weren't mistaken. They weren't errant. 
Bruxy uses that word a lot. They spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Peter says, we have something more sure than a voice from heaven. The reason is, a voice speaks from heaven. You think it said this. Someone else thinks it said that. Someone else isn't sure. You're way better off with a written record that is absolutely true and reliable. And Christ has ensured the church the same blessed heritage through the blessed record of our New Testament. I think that's such an important subject. Don't budge an inch on it. We have something so precious in God's word. It is true. You can rely on every word. Jesus said he gave us the words that the Father gave him. And then the Bible says the Holy Spirit continued to give the apostles the words that Jesus gave the Spirit and the Spirit gave the church. It's utterly reliable. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. We treasure it. We contend for it out of obedience to the scriptures, and we hide it in our hearts that we might not sin against you. Bless your truth to our hearts, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Contend for the word. Stay in it. Know it. Love one another and join us for our prayer time.